you guys have a problem. And it's not a problem that we fix. Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. With me today, we've got Eric. Hey. We've got Karen. Is it morning yet? Oh my gosh. It's morning. The sun is up and shiny oh. and it's going to be nice and hot. <laughs> we've got Tracy. Morning. Morning, everybody. Yeah, it is going to be hot. We are in the deep throes of summertime. It was well over 100 degrees yesterday. I think it's supposed to be plenty warm again today. So yes. it's going to be uh, might be a good time to stay in the air conditioning or a good time to go out. And depends on what you like, I guess. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I could deal with just about any kind of weather as long as there's no wind involved. So heat isn't so bad all by itself and Rain's not so bad by itself. Snow's not so bad by itself. But you put wind on top of it, and I get cranky. That's because you spend so much time on your hair. Honestly, I think if your hair was a little <laughs> lower maintenance, you probably wouldn't care about wind. I don't spend much time on my hair. <laughs> oh, maybe it just looks like it. Okay, my bad. It's just, you know, naturally awesome. That's all. Oh, oh yeah. That's why <laughs> your wife has told me for years that you spend more time on your hair than she does on hers. Uh-huh. No, see, that's not that's not a testament to how much time I spend on mine. It's a testament <laughs> to how little she spends on hers. <laughs> <laughs> I put, you know, a little little goo to keep it out of my eyeballs, and, and I'm good to go. That's all. <laughs> Otherwise, I just have, you know, good hair genes, I guess. Thank, I suppose you can thank my mom. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, you know, on that subject, there was a part of today's reading that, that did declare that a person is bald is not unclean. Okay. So those of you who don't have my amazing hair, that don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it, Tracy. You are not unclean. No, worst case scenario, we could all shave all of our hair, eyebrows, beards included. Terrible. Yeah, oh that's goodness. that's that's in the reading today. We have to figure out what that's about. What's for our discussion? You know, I don't know what the definition of a beard is. So, is it where two or three uh, hairs are gathered can be considered a beard? I don't know. <laughs> if that's the case, that I have a nice full beard. I I've, <laughs> I've never been able to grow. Facial hair. Everywhere else, uh, you know, junior high locker room, everybody made fun of me, but beard, forget it. Okay, well, so this week's reading, we start in, uh, let, let me get there. I'll get there. We start in Leviticus chapter 13, and we spend a few chapters there concerning uh, or, or uh, being, well, it, it concerns something that as a kid, I think it was one of those things you thought was going to be more important than it really turned out to be kind of like quicksand you know when you're a kid you kind of thought you were going to hit quicksand everywhere you went well leprosy was another one of those things that it just seemed like you were someday gonna have to worry about and we really we really don't today i did look up some photos of leprosy just to see kind of what it looks like and it was not pretty it was uh yeah it was it was not pretty and you know but it wasn't really exactly what everything i thought it was as a kid as a kid leprosy just kind of meant that body parts were going to fall off here and there but you know and i don't really understand leprosy tracy maybe you have a little better understanding there being the medical professional but never um, seen 
never saw i wouldn't i wouldn't think so and i would hope not especially not around here well, I didn't take I didn't take a lot of this stuff as talking about leprosy specifically. In fact, my Bible has a note that says the Hebrew word for defiling skin disease is traditionally translated leprosy, but was also used for various diseases affecting the skin here and throughout verses three through forty six of chapter thirteen. Okay. So like it was kind of like a collective term, at least as used here, for skin problems. Which is why some of them meant you were clean and some of them meant you were unclean, right? Yeah. If it was all leprosy, then it would all be leprosy. That's Hansen's disease, whatever. But mm -hmm. this, that wasn't the case. That's why you had to have it looked at. Yeah. Yeah. And this is at a time when they really didn't have doctors per se. I mean, I, I would imagine there were some kind of medical professionals of the day, but we don't really get much indication that the Israelites had anything like that. I would assume that maybe the the Egyptians had had something in the way of doctors, and I, I would suppose some of that would rub off onto some of the Israelites being, you know, servants and slaves to the uh, I, I Egyptians. I would just like to point out that the Egyptians were known for lighting their eyes with eyeliner that had lead in it and for yeah. grinding up burned mouse bones to put into their toothpaste. So there's that. Mmm, minty fresh. They brush your teeth, though. Yeah. Need to have an abrasive, so I get that. But honestly, <laughs> anyway, yeah. obviously they didn't have doctors because they were told to go to the priest for this. This right. was a priest duty. Yeah, yeah, that and that that's sort of just interesting in itself that you would go to your local clergyman to have a spot on your skin checked out. Uh, so if you had any kind of a little swelling or a scab or a bright spot on your skin, basically anything that just didn't look quite right. You were supposed to go to the priest and have them check it out. And uh, they would look at it and see what color the hair was in it and try to determine how deep into the skin it was. Well, um, that's, all the, that's all the hair color means is like how deep does this go? Because the hair roots, you know, the follicles go so far down. And then if, if it's really, if the skin thing is really superficial, then it's not going to affect the roots of the hair. But if it goes deeper, it's going to affect the roots of the hair, and it's going to change the color of the hair that grows out of it. So, like, I get that, right? Yeah. And so if they determined that maybe there was a problem, then they would put them into basically a seven-day quarantine. I guess that's a word that we're familiar with these days. Not ex not exactly the same as what we've got, but uh, but definitely the idea was to separate away the person who was potentially sick and could be spreading an infection. You know, yeah. I was looking at this, and I, what I was thinking, too, is, you know, we're, they're trudging through the desert, exposure to sun, you know, that kind of stuff. Could, could that have been, like, skin diseases, um, melanomas, that kind of thing? You know, it's totally possible. I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you're out in the desert and just wandering around, and, you know, they didn't have... No, sunscreen. I mean, it's like we slather their skin with, you know, sunblock at this point. You were just at the mercy of, of the sun. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine they probably had a little better natural uh, uh, protection from the sun in their own, um, you know, melanin in their skin. Yeah. What was that? I think it's just, you know, the clothes and, you know, how, you know, all the things were made of, you know, linens and cottons and that kind of thing that was more breathable. But, you know, sure. I'm sure you know, kind of helped. 
Yeah, they definitely have a different idea of how to stay cool in the in the desert than we do here with our, you know, northern European traditions where if we get hot, we start taking things off and they if the sun is out for for people in the desert, they actually put, you know, clothes on to keep the direct sun off and just seems backwards to our general way of thinking, but it really makes sense if you if you put too much if put a little thought into it. Well, I would just like to say that I have burned the upper tips of my ears badly. And sure. I I think that the idea of, say, putting on a head cover in that goes down over your head and neck and onto your shoulders is quite clever because that hurt and it took weeks to peel. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and so, I, yes, yes, these are Hebrew people. They have a little bit darker skin. They've been working outdoors for generations. They're pretty sturdy, but that doesn't, that's not going to stop them from getting skin things. Right. Yeah. Well, in general, after that seven days, if the sore didn't spread, then they, were, they would be judged clean. If it was spreading, they were judged unclean. If it, if it was not spreading, though, they would still get isolated for a few more days um, just to watch them. And if it was healed or healing, they were they were determined that they were clean. And then it's in uh, verse 40, then, that you're told that if you're bald, you're not unclean. <laughs> but only if you've lost your hair in a certain direction and stuff. Yeah, right. Um, so, so at my office, we have to wear face masks. And the first day that we were required, there's one, there's one girl that I work with who's very, very just deeply religious. And I, she was like the only one that I could trust to get this joke. So, of course, if you're, if you're determined to be unclean, you have to go around, you have to go around with your lower face covered, you know, crying <laughs> yeah. unclean, unclean. So the first day that I passed her in the hallway um, with my face mask on dutifully, I said, I, I cried myself unclean and she cracked up. <laughs> I did find that interesting, though, in that same uh, verse 45, that they do have to cover your upper lip. I, which would, I mean, the only way you can cover your upper lip with your hand is to basically cover your mouth as you get around other people crying unclean. And I just, and I, that did occur to me. It's like, wow, it's kind of like their, their uh, DIY face mask covering as they're running around, you know, telling people that they're unclean. Hmm. And I just find that it's really interesting here for a, a, a people who historically, as I understand it, had no concept of germ theory, although I'm convinced that some people today also lack that skill. <laughs> but but the, I mean, this is for a society. God is telling them to do these things that I'm sure to them seemed quite strange. Like, why would you quarantine somebody just because they had a, an open sore? What, what difference does that make? Yeah. Um, and yet it had health regular. I mean, it had health implications. It, you can read through. I mean, we're going to go a little bit quick through some of these chapters, but we find that obviously, if we're looking through these things, and we think within our, you know, our time and place, we think germ culture. We think, well, yeah, that's why you wouldn't do this because people would be contagious. But remember that we went from this. This is this is pre-Israel settling in Canaan thousands of years ago into the middle ages they were convinced that germs spontaneously you know, mice spontaneously just popped out of dirty rags and and that's what caused the diseases and so on so we have god telling people thousands of years earlier hey this is how you handle things separate things 
I mean, whether it's, I mean, later we've got in 56 or even in 47, we're talking about fabric. If your fabric is diseased Mm -hmm. and some of these, he's telling them, Hey, how, here's how you can be healthy. These aren't really ritual things. The clean and uncleanness things or to do with separating the people, but they're not a spiritual religious thing. It's just a, Hey, if you're going to be healthy as a million people camping together, here's some things you need to know. And I didn't explain what was going on, but he just said, trust me, do it. Mm-hmm. And you can't help but read through this and think, well, yeah, this would have helped keep um, outbreaks of whatever skin disease happened to be the hot ticket at the moment. It would have kept it to a minimum. Yeah, I noticed that, too, because there were there were a few places where it specifically said, if you have this, you will be you will be ceremonial, ceremonially unclean until you do this. But most of them, it was just like you will be unclean for this long and then get checked again. Or you will be unclean until you've washed with water or you will be unclean until sundown. Or You know what I mean? Like there were all these different. And so those. So there were a few that said ceremonially unclean, but most of them were just, it was just a matter of like washing. This is what brought me back to though, and and I think we've touched on it just a little bit, is back to washing. And it made me think to, you know, how often did they touch water? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like whole body touching because, you know, I think it was, how do I say this, locational cleansing? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was maybe splash. This is going to sound bad, but maybe splash the pits and head out. You know what I mean? It was. No, it makes absolute sense. I mean, you think one of the greatest luxuries was to wash, have the uh, feet of your guests washed by a servant. You know, I mean that that comes in big. And Jesus is, you know, in the New Testament, we talk about foot washing, and you know, basically where. that that was considered like a low thing to wash someone's feet. And now, now many Christian denominations, I don't think all, but some of them uh, perform a foot washing in, in memory of that. But just the idea that that would kind of be a luxury to have your, your, your feet washed to get a particular part of you clean. Yeah. I, I with you, I, I bet they didn't really bathe in the way that we think of it. You know, you know, they didn't have the luxury of water like we do. Right. And especially that, too, that's what it brought me back to is that, you know, I don't think you really would want, you know, a million people all dipping in your water supply that you were going to drink, you know, and it kind of brings me back to that point. But if you see if if they're very concerned about their health and they're, you know, they've got some kind of derm stuff going on, you know, they do. They tell them you got to get in there and you got to you got to wash everything. You got to wash your clothes. You got to do this. And most of the time, this was like far removed from the camp. So it's like, do you go and, and you know, got to find another watering hole to jump in? Yeah. Well, there was ways for them to determine if a person was clean. There was place for them to determine if their clothing then was unclean. Uh, and they were all really similar. Basically, if there was a funny spot, it, w- it went as far as even the the walls of their house. And that was something interesting too. talking about a house. I didn't think mm-hmm. of them as having houses per se. So I, it makes me wonder how long they would stay in an area if they were there long enough to actually build a dwelling. Cause I always thought of it more as they would have been intense, but maybe, I mean, maybe they yeah, actually but this carried forward. Place. Too, remember? Sure. Certainly it did. Yeah. 
so at any rate, your your clothing and your dwelling place was not considered uh, uh, immune to these things as well. And so they basically would be have the priest come and look at it. If it looks a certain way, we're going to separate it for for a week or so. If it looks worse, you're going to have to deal with it. If it's better, we're going to clean it. You know, if it's in your house, boy, they would they would take out the stones that were infected. And we could, you know, there's some there's some correlation even for that today. I don't know that we have leprous walls necessarily, but black mold, black mold. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, See, I think it just comes back to that's the generic word for gross stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Because they've because, yeah, I mean, they've got it in fabrics. They've got it on walls. And it's very interesting that they do have various steps if this then this if this then this and it and it just goes on and on in chapter 14 you know it's like okay you you can shave this stuff off and the idea that i got was like well maybe if they had some some sort of stuff going on in 14 like one through nine if you've got something going on you need to it's it's infecting your hair or or scalp or beard then you need to you need to shave that so that it can be cleaned you know, and I looked at it too, just you know, coming from the the medical perspective of it too, that you know, you get the the log of oil, which I don't know what that kind of measurement of a log is of oil, but a lot of times with you know dermat- dermatological things, you really go after the emollients and the skins, and you know, with the oil, you have a good chance of if it's something that's aerobic, you know, versus anaerobic, you slather the skin with oil you basically can suffocate it. Yeah. You know, so I think this all goes into God's divine plan. This is how you do things. You're going to do this. Yeah. And I would point out that this isn't just, he's not telling him to do this. Just like, all right, stand on your left leg. Okay. Now hold your right arm up and put it. It's just like, it's not, these are not random things. They're done for the good of the people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's they're, they're It's practical. There's yeah. there's good reason for everything that's being done here. It's not just a weird ritual thing, you know, pulled out of the hat to to say that this is going to take care of something. Kind of the way that some of our European medicine was dealt with at, at times. There were some we had some odd ideas uh, back in those times. Well, if a person was determined determined clean, then they would give a sacrifice. Uh, they would take two clean birds with some cedar wood. Some scarlet thread, I believe. Mm-hmm. Probably talking about some scarlet thread. Uh, New King James just said scarlet. It didn't specifically say thread. Um, and with some hyssop. And we talked about hyssop before, and there were some cleansing properties and stuff in that. It was kind of an interesting ritual, though. They would kill one bird, and how do they put it? In an earthen vessel over running water. And then they would dip the living bird with the cedar and scarlet in the blood of the dead bird. So... Good on you, Bert, for drawing that strength, that that straw there. But they would sprinkle the leper seven times with the blood, and then they would release that bird, the, the live bird, out into the wild. I would guess probably sort of a symbolic way of saying uh, your sickness is is gone and it's it's going away. We're just gonna let it fly away now, and we're not gonna worry about it anymore. Yeah, it, the hyssop thing reminded me of Psalm fifty-one seven. Yeah, where that's mm-hmm. David's psalm. Um, Cleanse me with hyssop. Yeah. And just, it's interesting because we say that, you know, clean me with hyssop and I will be clean. And we're like, oh, isn't that sweet? And it's like, this was actually 
I mean, this was kind of a significant coming out of the woods from being separated from your people, from being ostracized, from being unclean. And this was part of it, which was to those Hebrew readers would have been a big deal. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, they'd have that. They would have that. And then they'd have another sacrifice where they would have two male lambs, a ewe lamb, some flour with oil, and then a log of oil. And that first lamb would be a trespass offering. They would also have a sin offering. All, yeah, lots, lots of different ritual things. But those trespass and sin offerings, I guess, just, you know, signifies that, you know, we're all, all sinful. And, and uh, that's a good reason of why these things exist. Maybe maybe it wasn't a sin particularly that caused the, the disease, but because we are sinful, we have the disease. And if you were poor, I like this too. We've talked about once before with some of these rituals and such, but if you were poor, then you had a different sacrifice you could make that would be less financially burdensome on you, where you would have one male lamb and then a couple of, uh, couple of birds. So... You didn't have, it didn't have, once again, it didn't depend on your financial status to be considered clean from a disease. All right, Leviticus 15. We're going to have to talk about this one. It's, <laughs> this is a weird chapter, guys. The law concerning bodily discharges. And the, the, it's not always specific about what they're talking about, a discharge, but basically it sounds like if anything gross comes out of a person's body, they were going to be considered unclean. And, you know, I mean, I think we're probably talking about pus. I know at some point we're literally talking about uh, semen. We're talking about woman's menstruation. And these things were all considered unclean, basically. Um, anything that, I mean, if you had a discharge, anything you sat on was unclean. Anything you laid down on was unclean. Um, if anybody touched you, they were unclean. I suppose for a time, like we said, with, with limited medical uh, knowledge, people needed to be taught that stuff that comes out of them is not necessarily great for other people. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of the, the number one thing here is washing. There mm -hmm. are some sacrifices depending on the type of, oh, depending on the type of what's going on. And we will not read through it verse by verse. You could do that in Leviticus 15. But um, most of it had to do with, washing which i mean i've camped a fair amount in the desert and i honestly don't know how much of their journey was literally in the dryness of the desert with nothing or if it was just you know outdoors and they had a some streams going by but um water was scarce it was significant if you bathed or washed a person and so it would have been a a, a momentous thing in a way. It wouldn't be just like, I go take a shower. I tell my boys, like, how long has it been since you took a bath? And I just toss him in the bathtub. And um, this was a bigger deal. But again, it seems that it is for the purpose of keeping people healthy. One thing I noted in 15 was uh, 25. 15, 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, if it's beyond the time of impurity, the days of discharge shall continue in uncleanness, which is really important because this is referenced in Matthew 9, Mark 5, and Luke 8. Yes. When the, when the woman has had this discharge of blood for 12 years, mm -hmm. she's been in, I believe it's in referenced in, in bondage to this, to this 
this problem. And it's it's interesting because in the Gospels, it's either Matthew or Mark or both say, yeah, she went to doctors and doctors couldn't do anything. And Luke, the, she'd spent all her money on doctors. And Luke, the doctor, he just says, yeah, there was nothing anybody could do. He's like, mm. he's kind of passing it. But the point is, it would have been a big deal. She would have been, you know, as we're reading through this, she would have been on the outside for over a decade. And for Jesus to heal her. And it's interesting, he didn't let her just be healed and then go away where she was the only one who knew. He actually, quote, caught her. But the reason he did that and asked her was to give her testimony, to say how was he healed, which goes to, I was reading some other books, if we believe, and I do, that it was actually Jesus giving these commands and, and showing up on Mount Sinai, then he has always been in the business of healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We see it just all over the New Testament. I mean, you can't read that without Jesus healing people all the time. And here he is um, in Leviticus, you know, preventatively saying, hey, do these things. It'll make you, it'll make you uh, healthier. Yeah, and it's significant, too, to think of how long that woman would have been considered unclean. You know, today's standards, I think women are pretty well able to hide the fact that they're going through menstruation. Here's here's me talking like I know. But, um, but you know, uh, but back then, it, it would have been a whole lot harder for people to not probably notice. Your, and your, your business was on the street. Yeah. yeah. Even when you were, you know post relationships people are going to know based on being clean and unclean and that mm-hmm. kind of thing and yeah i think too, so it's the desperation of you know this abnormal kind of uterine bleeding that this was huge for for the the female population that cuz not everybody is quote unquote regular you know with their cycles and this this you know, for 12 years, that that points to, to desperation, I think, too, with the whole touching of the hem of the garment. It was in desperation. Yeah. You know, you pulled that healing out of me. Your faith did that. And I think, you know, that's that's huge when there's no answers and there's no no cures out there. I think that points to, to looking towards the savior. Yep. Absolutely. All right, well, let's get into some of the meat of what we really wanted to talk about today. I don't know. Are you there, Karen? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. I was like, we're all timing in about menstruation, and I didn't hear anything from Karen. <laughs> She's just oh. listened to our expertise on it. She's probably <laughs> laughing at us over there going, yeah, okay, guys. You take the reins on this one, sure. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the meat of what we really wanted to talk to bit about today, which is chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. Now, this was probably one of the most important sacrifices to be made all year long, because as we've talked about with some of our other things, we had our burnt offerings, we had our uh, sin offerings. All year long, sins had been getting transferred away from the people and then placed, I guess, on the sanctuary, if I'm understanding things correctly. And then on this day of atonement, then this would be, or the, uh, how, how the, the cleaning of the, they call it the cleaning of the temple, 
we're not talking about you know going in with your with your Lysol and your pine saw and scrubbing the place down. We're talking about then removing the sins from the temple and 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 getting them away from the camp. And uh, you know something that came across to me in this also in the reading this week was the concept of what was considered the sacrifice too. It wasn't, you know, we had the altar where things would get burned, but the burning on the altar was not, is not what was dealing with the sin. It was the actual death of the animal that was dealing with the sin. And there was actually even a part here where it was talking about if you sacrifice an animal, even out in the field. So people apparently could make sacrifices somewhere else but if they did that they were expected to bring the animal to the sanctuary to sort of complete that process of of sacrifice yeah that's chapter 17 basically mm-hmm. saying hey wherever this happens it needs to end up in the, in the sanctuary you it's mm-hmm. kind of like a well not kind of like i think it's a pretty strict admonition in chapter 17 this is not a diy thing you don't do this at home mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there has real implications in Israel's future, yeah, about but, where this stuff is done. Mm-hmm. But it seemed that it didn't matter so much where the animal was killed, but the rest of everything had to be dealt with there at the sanctuary. You could, you could sacrifice the animal, but that blood, and specifically, we're going to talk about that when we get to seventeen. But that blood had to be dealt with in the sanctuary. Exactly, and in the future, we have situations where. Israel splits, and you've got one king saying, you know, you can just do it in our country. It's a long ways to make it to Jerusalem, so let's not worry about that. We'll just kind of make our own plan here. Mm-hmm. And that that is, I mean, pretty straight up here in Leviticus, God saying, nope. This, yeah. this stuff goes down at the tabernacle, and here's how. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting. because we've, we've talked about, We've seen all kinds of sacrifices. We've seen sacrifices of birds and of lambs and of goats and of bulls. And here we have the first thing. It shows up in um, chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. We have an element introduced into this sacrificial system that does not die, at least not at the time of the ceremony. And it is really a fascinating thing because it's kind of a linchpin to this whole thing and yet this animal does not die so let's talk about that's mm-hmm. there are that's our um the one 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 of the uh, goats is for the lord or it's the lord's goat and the other is for azazel and my footnote mm-hmm. um says that the meaning of azazel Possibly the name or the place of a demon and is traditionally called a scapegoat, which is probably the very first place this shows up in, I'm going to guess, history. Etymologically, this is where we get the word. And today we're like, oh, they're just making them a scapegoat for this thing. What that means is you put all the blame onto that person. That's how it goes today, right? right. You you. You blame the intern. You're like, ah, you're just making them a scapegoat. Well, this is where it came from. Like, this is the origin of this expression. And let's dig into what this is because I, we go through it kind of quickly here as Azel shows up again later, but um, it's a pretty big deal. 
Mm-hmm. Now that's interesting because I don't see. I, I remember reading that that name Azazel somewhere before, but I don't remember it in my reading in the New King James. But it definitely was called the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I remember hearing that before. But yeah, so so like I said, all year long, all these sins have been been have been brought on, have been brought to the tabernacle. They've been taken essentially off of the person put onto an animal then that then was sacrificed that blood would get sprinkled on the altar and it would get sprinkled you know some of it would get poured out around the altar all that would end up there so symbolically speaking all of that sin has been building up all year long at the temple and now it's like i think eric last week you were talking about how everything was done on credit this has got to get dealt with. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's got to be taken away because while the sins maybe have been taken away from the people, they haven't really been dealt with yet. They're not. They're kind of still just sitting there, and so the priest then would come and he would place his hands on that one animal that was going to be sacrificed. And we talked last week, I think, about the significance of that, of of placing your hands on that and putting that some of that that blame on that animal. And then they would kill that animal. Now, that one specifically, like we said, that one was, quote unquote, for the Lord. And it seems like a backwards way of thinking at first, the idea that the one that was for the Lord would get killed and then the other one would get set free. But we have to remember that this is all pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on the cross and and his ministry of what he's continuing to do in heaven. And so we place we place all the sin upon this one goat for the whole year, and then and that some of that blood, and everybody correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to look at my notes as I do this, but that blood would actually get taken into the most holy place, and this was significant because nobody went into the most holy place except for this day, on on right. each year. You could see I was I was reading somewhere else. Because of the way that the the tabernacle, the inner tabernacle was built, the priest would be able to see just over the top of the curtain and see like the top of the Ark of the Covenant. But you never really quite went in there. They would have their incense burning and whatnot, and it would kind of float up in there, and that would represent uh, the prayers of the people. But nobody went into that most holy place like ever, except for this day. And this day, though that that blood now that contains that sin for the entire year would be taken in and that would get sprinkled on that mercy seat. So essentially we're taking that and remember that mercy seat covered the law of the testimony, the 10 commandments, the, the moral law, right? So this is all being taken there. Now, somewhere in this process, then this priest he takes that sin upon himself and he goes out and he takes it to the scapegoat and he places places his hands on this scapegoat essentially transferring a year's worth of sins of thousands millions of people think of how much sin goes on in a, in a, in any given society and this is all getting placed on this one goat and then that goat rather than being killed, gets led out of camp far away somewhere and gets released out into the wilderness. 
at, the, at the first blush, you're like, oh, well, hey, that, that go gets to live. Lucky him. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> but you got to think, you got to think, okay, first of all, what's happening is that sin is being taken, literally taken away from the camp. All those sins are now gone from the Israelites. They are gone. And that goat now is left by itself in the wilderness with the elements, with the predators. The what? Predatory animals. Yeah, the predators. It's got, and it's, chances are the thing is going to get ripped to pieces. You know, it's going to die anyway. uh, And it's not going to be that quick death like we talk about, you know, with, with with these sacrifices. But this animal is going to bear the brunt of all that stuff that's been building up for this entire year. And so this one this one day really represents the gospel story, the entirety of of Jesus's role as our sacrifice, as our high priest, as our mediator, and then that scapegoat then represents Satan and his responsibility in all of this, that he will ultimately bear the brunt of all of this sin that has been building up in the world over the centuries, and it's not going to be pretty for him. Yeah, I think that that's an important thing, and that may be kind of a shocking concept for some people listening, is this idea that Satan is the the goat that ends up with the sin. But let's take it back. To the Garden of Eden, which we've talked about. God created this place without sin and without the, the uh, curse that came with sin. And Satan introduced this. Satan was the one who lied to Eve. And I have no doubt that once she uh, fell, Satan worked through her uh, to convince Adam to do this. And was he there just talking straight to Adam? I don't know, but certainly through Eve. And they they chose rebellion. They chose Satan. And the world was through them. And we see Satan's role as we read Job. Is he, as soon as something is turned over to Satan's hands, he does bad things. And so Satan is, is the villain in this. And ultimately, it does come back on him. And there's, a, there's in Revelation 20, verse 2, we see that Satan is essentially led into a wilderness. He is locked up, <laughs> as the Bible says, for a thousand years alone. <laughs> um, right. he, is, he is bound up with this stuff because ultimately, although Jesus paid the price, and this is a thing that's kind of hard for me to get my head around, and I can't say that I have my head all the way around it. Okay, so just I'll start with that, is that although Satan, Satan initiated this whole thing, Jesus paid that price for us. But it's not his sin. Jesus didn't really sin. He's not the actual guilty party here. Right. And that eventually the guilty party himself bears the weight of those sins. Jesus has been carrying it for us through our salvation phase. And as I understand it, once we're through that salvation phase, uh, Jesus has come, God has judged the world, that judgment actually rolls forward into some sort of judicial thing, 
to where Satan now pays the price because he's the one who's been racking up the bill. Jesus has been carrying the weight of that until this time. We see that happening in Revelation. Also, this 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 Day of Atonement cleansing the sanctuary is a really big deal, and it's kind of inescapable because Daniel 8.14, it's one of those mysterious time prophecies, but Daniel 8.14 is talking about the time when the heavenly sanctuary will be cleansed. Mm-hmm. Again, we go back to this idea that these the sanctuary on earth is a shadow and a type of the sanctuary in heaven. And these priests on earth are a shadow and a symbol of Jesus as our high priest. You don't believe me? <laughs> Look at Hebrew, the entire book of Hebrews. Jesus as our high priest. So all of this stuff in 16 is symbolic of Jesus and our salvation and this controversy between God and evil and how sin is dealt with. And it's grace. You know, all of this stuff is grace. I mean, the people are to do the ceremonies, but the ceremonies simply indicate their faith that it will be paid by another. Because remember, it was the sinner who was supposed to die. Right. And so this whole thing is, in fact, um, a freeing from our sins, which it's interesting, is this day is called a Sabbath. Now, this isn't the seventh day Sabbath that we get from creation and that we get from the Ten Commandments. This is a different Sabbath. This is a Sabbath. It's based on the month. And the tenth day. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that this Sabbath is symbolic of the freeing from their sins. Right? So this some people say, like, oh, the idea of a Sabbath, that was a burden. Well, that's what the Jews had made it to be by the time Jesus showed up. They right. made it to be this thing with all these rules and all this other stuff. Well, the first Sabbath was in Eden, and there was no sin. It was, it was, that was like the first day of vacation for God and the newly minted Adam and Eve. So this wasn't about, I mean, that Sabbath right there wasn't about keeping a rule. It was about relationship. And here we have a relationship that is restored through the process of sacrifice, and it's called a high Sabbath. Well, Sabbath just means it's it's it just means to rest, doesn't it? Well, there is a there is a there is what the word means, and then there's what a Sabbath is, and this is a Sabbath. It's a high Sabbath, and then there is the weekly Sabbath. So, right, it means all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but what the, I was I guess what I was getting at is is I've never thought of the word Sabbath as exclusive to the seventh day of the week at the end of creation when God rested. I've thought of I've thought of it when I read, uh, you know, Jewish history, I read that there are multiple Sabbaths yes. and they are days where you take a break from whatever your normal routine is and you do this other thing instead. Yes. So that's so my understanding of it has been like it's a rest. It's a rest and a reengagement over here. So, yeah, yeah, I think I think it's cool. It's yeah, very it's cool. just mm-hmm. it's interesting that 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 it's. This this idea of if it's of its restoration, of its its um, reconnecting and putting them right with God, because at this time now, 
sin is gone. It's kind of a, it's a time of restoration and of, um, of coming together with God. And this is an interesting thing is in, in 1629 and it should be for you a statute forever that in this, and this, this goes back to forever and is forever. Does that mean forever or does that mean forever until it's done? Mm -hmm. You know? So, and I believe that these, this forever when it comes to the day of atonement is forever until the real sacrifice is done. Okay. Once, once the symbols are done and now we're into the real things, it sounds like Romans now we have the real thing, and the shadow and the type is fulfilled. It says, on the seventh day of the tenth month, you shall afflict yourselves. My Bible has a footnote that says, or fast, which did, in fact, remind me of Romans 14, verses 4, 5, and 12, where, where Paul is saying, hey, when you go to worship, and you need to take this seriously about yourself. This says afflict yourself. And the problem that we have with a lot of religion, we talked about dressing for God and you know how that works. Mm -hmm. As long as that's a personal thing, that seems to be okay. That's between us and God. But the problem is we often afflict each other. <laughs> Matt, you're not doing it right. Karen, <laughs> you're 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 not measuring up over here to what I think is a standard. Right. And posing can, on someone else. 100%. And it's interesting that here in Leviticus, it says, afflict yourself, which we can, we could just say, oh, well, it's just, you know, let's focus on just ourselves and not, not the afflicting of other people, which I think is important. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we should overlook the fact that God is, in fact, calling us to take this seriously for ourselves. Yes. You mean, spiritually, the idea of, of fasting, or praying, or putting things aside, and like, really getting serious about our relationship with God is a thing that's almost in the, in the day of um, that we live in of, of grace is just like, Oh, God's got to pay. Don't worry about it. Mm. And although yes, on one hand, he, he does have it paid. Absolutely. And we should be absolutely grateful for that grace because that's what it is. On the other hand, this is a serious enough thing that we're reading through all of these rituals and all of the sacrifices and all of this blood. And it ultimately cost the life of one of the Godhead, you know, the, the, the son of God, it cost him his life and he bore the sin. For, that's a big deal. That is just yeah. a big deal. And if we blow that, if we blow past that toll booth, we're just like, Hey, thanks. Bye then we're we're really missing something very significant you know just it's it's a big deal in 30 in verse 30 you shall be clean before the lord from all your sins now he's cleansing us it's made for us but i think that this is a time for reflection and it reminds me of when in the new testament they say you know anybody who receives the the communion and who is in themselves unworthy needs to take this seriously. And it's kind of like this tension of like, oh, wait a minute, we're all unworthy, right? So wait a minute, who is, I think it seems to, it seems to refer to, hey, if you're not taking this seriously, if you're, if this is a joke to you, if the idea that what this cost and what was paid means nothing to you and you're okay going on with business as usual, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a couple of texts that are coming to mind 
And I should also interject by saying I admire how much thought you've put into this. I didn't, I read through this, but I didn't go nearly this deeply with it and, and like extrapolating it forward into the whole, you know, all of, all of what you did. This is, this is really good. I feel like I'm hearing a sermon actually, but I'm reminded of there's a text in, um, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe it's in Matthew where Jesus says, therefore, so, you know, blah, 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 blah. We all remember what's in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he sort of, one of the things that he says as he's wrapping it up is he says, therefore, you shall be perfect, even as your yeah. father in heaven is perfect. Like, that's actually the call. We all know we can't do it. <laughs> and this right. system is in place to cover for us. So, but there's, there's Jesus absolute, like, because of all of these things that I just preached to you over these chapters of what became Matthew later, therefore, you shall be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. And then I'm remembering what. Paul said repeatedly in the book of Romans, where he starts off several of the chapters in Romans by saying, shall we keep sinning then? So right. the grace abound? Heaven forbid, right. right? So yes, the price has been paid. Yes, it's just that easy. We are all, you know, post-crucifixion. We don't have to have the flocks where we take the perfect lamb and we go and we have the we we observe the death of this perfect creature that absolves us right and and transfers the sin over to here we've got it easy in that way and it, it becomes we can become so flippant about it that it, it in our own heads or in our own hearts it seems like it takes the pressure off our behavior well it was just a small sin yeah it's yeah. true and karen you were referencing matthew 5 48 therefore you must be perfect because you're Heavenly Father is perfect, yeah, and, th and that's in the context of, of uh, loving enemies, which is probably the hardest thing to do. And yeah, Paul talks a lot about the law, and he's and he's saying, "Can the law save you?" No, no. And then he says, "Is the law bad?" And he pipes up right there, "No." And we're like, "Well, wait a minute! I just thought you said it couldn't save us." The law points out my my sin and my need of a savior, and that makes me feel that makes me feel crummy because I realize I can't save myself. Oh, I feel terrible. Does that mean the law is bad? No, it means the law is good. And I'm like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. And what that does is it says you have a problem. Is it's, it's a warning light that shows up on the dashboard. It's like saying, I remember reading a book once of these guys who were doing a cross-country trip. And about halfway across the country, they had an old car. The engine warning light came on. And they're like, oh, man, what do we do? And one of the guys said, I know what to do. He took some gum and stuck it over the light. Like, problem fixed. <laughs> and that's what we do. <laughs> and and the law is, is that red light blinking saying, hey, humans, you guys have a problem. And it's not a problem that we fix. And we say thank you to the red light, to the warning, to the law saying, you're right. We do have a problem. And Satan says, and you can't fix it, and you can't save yourself, and so it's all lost. And if that's all the word of the story, that would be true. But it isn't, and so we say, no, 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 Jesus lived that perfect life, and he forgave me, and I take that on myself. And, I mean, I, I accept that from myself, and through his grace, I'm going to move closer toward the ideal from which our deviance caused the death of the Son of God. Why would we want to? I, oh man, I remember we were on vacation in Hawaii. This was years ago. I don't know how old my son is, but I got a picture of it, and I wish I could show you guys. 
there was, we were on a cliff above the ocean and the waves were just crashing below us. And I don't know, maybe it was 30, 40, 50 feet. And there was no beach nearby, right? And these were big waves. And my son wanted to go right to the very edge of the lava cliffs, crumbly rock, and look into the ocean. And we said, no, don't get near the edge. And he had the poutiest face you could possibly imagine. I don't know. He was maybe five at the time. And my daughter's standing there smiling. You know, she's there good 15 feet away from the edge. And he's just got this huge dark cloud over him and he's pouting because he wants to be at the very edge of the brink that would cause him death. (laughs) And that's us. We want to be like, well, how much sin can I get away with? And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Did you forget what this cost? Like this, Mm -hmm. this damages you and it costs the life of the son of God. This is not a small deal. And think about this too, from an agrarian nomadic people to be offering these sacrifices and to be going through this would be at the core of who they are and what they do. It would be costly financially. It would be a significant milestone. You've raised this animal. It's not like, it's not like they went down to Costco and bought one. Right. You know, know? I, I think you touched on the great point is that this was supposed to be the core of what they were and what yep. they stood for. Yep. And, it's, and it's that that statement right there is that that's what this whole Exodus journey was about to make that to make God the core of this nation's existence. Yes. So I'm this this uh, this day of atonement where you're you know, where they're where the people are told to afflict themselves. And there's there's this grave side of this whole process probably all puns intended there, but what I meant was serious. There's this serious side of this whole process where, and and it reminded me of, it's actually one of my favorite passages in Hebrews. It's in Hebrews 4, and it starts in verse 12. And it's um, it says, The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart, right? And this is where sin comes from. Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. So we have these clever ways of hiding things from our own sight and certainly from each other's sight, definitely from each other's sight. But nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Yeah. There's the reason to afflict your soul. Okay, but then it continues on. Mm -hmm. Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we possess. And it goes on about grace and it goes on about his empathy. And then it ends with, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Mm -hmm. So here's that weird tension that you were talking about, like, take this seriously. And yet the price has been paid and be confident in that. Um, But it's circular. The fact that the price has been paid and we're to be confident in that. And it says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Like, that is a weird tension. Is it easy or is it hard? You know? Right. right. It's both. And that goes right to this this God providing. It's in chapter 17, um, verse 11. And I want to go back to 10. After this, for the life is in the flesh, in the blood, and I have given it for you on the yeah. altar yeah. to make yes. atonement for your souls. 
this is this is big. I mean, it doesn't get bigger than this. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And this goes back to, to um, Abraham and Isaac. It's like God says to Abraham, hey, sacrifice your son, which we'll find out in next week's reading that that was not God's purpose, was to actually have a human sacrifice. It was a test. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, spoiler alert in chapter 20, that's not God's, that's not how God rolls. And not for us, but for himself he did. And and remember when Abraham went up on the mountain and he didn't have a sacrifice with him. He had, there was Abraham and Isaac and the firewood, you know, and, and the knife, but no, no sacrifice. And he was stopped from sacrificing his son. And God said, now I know that you get it. And I'll provide a sacrifice. And that becomes a motif throughout the rest of the Bible is that God will provide the sacrifice. And right here in um, in Leviticus 17, God says, I have given it for you on the altar. And I think it's really cool. Tracy, you talked about like this was to be the core of Israel, but the purpose of Israel wasn't to be selfish, to keep it to themselves. No. If anyone of the house, this is in verse 10. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats the blood and you're going to be in trouble. So this whole sacrificial system was to include people who weren't just pure Israelites. This was to be available to anybody. And the Israelites, you know, kind of perverted that and became it's like all about us. You know, but I think, too, is what we kind of forget, you know, and we brought it up a couple of times is that. This was still a stage because other people knew that these people were wandering around in the, in yep. the desert out there. Yep. This became a stage. People were aware of that. They were aware of the miracles that were going on as well. Yes. So I think that, you know, it's a testament to them wanting it to be the core of their foundation and that God was at the head of this and he was using it as a stage for the rest of the world. Yes. This and there's. This can work if you're willing to have the faith to follow it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because the sacrifices that we're going through and the Day of Atonement thing that we're going through and and the sac- and the idea that the blood of another pays for you, but to who it, who's doing this was in pretty bright contrast with the nations that were around them. And it was mm-hmm. supposed to be a witness to them. And we'll get into some of the things. The reason... The reason that God says not to do certain things is obviously because other people were doing them or they would be tempted to. And one of them was the sacrifice of their children. And so this whole thing was supposed to be a symbol of how God worked. Because Tracy's right. You know, as we, you know, again, spoiler alert, as we get to Jericho, fast forward, we've got Joshua. You know, they're moving around Jericho. And when Rahab talks to them, she says, oh, yeah, as soon as you guys cross the Red Sea, yeah, we heard of everything that was happening. We've been watching and listening. Well, let's just take a second here just to kind of recap this, because I think it's so it's so vital that we really understand this here. Every one of us has sinned. And through that sin, there needs to be a reckoning. That reckoning ultimately is our own lives. Sin is destructive, and it will destroy us. Our, but, yeah, our soul, not just our like temporal life. Like, yeah. This is an eternal deal. You pay with your soul. Everything that you are, sin will destroy. Yep. 
but we serve a God who allows for a substitute. Ultimately speaking, that substitute was himself. That is a concept that I don't know uh, exists in any other religion anywhere else where the God who made you, the God who set up the rules for you to live by, that when you fall short of those rules, and let's remember, that's what sin is. Sin is falling short of the goal because the goal is life. When we fall short of the goal, we have a substitute. God himself has made himself the substitute for us. We don't have to shed our own blood. He shed his in our place. And ultimately, that blame will all then be transferred right where it belongs, right upon Satan, who rebelled. We don't know why. It's called the great mystery. But he rebelled. He caused us to rebel. He continues to work for our destruction. And ultimately, it will all be put on him. He will be destroyed. And we have the opportunity to accept that, that substitute in our place. We get to exist because God placed himself in the middle of that. And we cannot stress that enough. And it's, 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 it's so important to understand that concept and what, how, the levels of grace that are in that where it's beyond sacrifices, it's beyond payment, it's beyond, it's beyond any of that. It's just God wants us to live, and that is deep stuff. There's, there's, one element, there's one element here that we haven't talked about, and for a long time I was confused why, why the scapegoat represented Satan when Satan was the origin of sin. And that was when I was a kid. And then when I got older and I started to realize that my sin requires my active participation and my choice. In fact, the New Testament says specifically, there is a way out provided for every temptation, mm -hmm. every mm -hmm. temptation. Right. So that in that respect, is Satan the origin of sin? Yes. Does that mean that does that mean could could you say that he is ultimately responsible for my sin because of that? You could, except that I choose to step into that in each and every instance, right? right. So right. in that respect, so so when I finally grasped my own responsibility and my own like, the, you know, good is available, evil is available on this wide, wide spectrum, like maybe I'm attracted to tiny sins. They're still wrong. Maybe I'm attracted to huge sins. They're still wrong. You know, wrong is wrong at some point. And if I choose to step into that, that's not Satan's fault. Right. Did he use my weaknesses to score a victory against God? Absolutely. But in that respect, that's why he becomes the scapegoat for my sins, because I committed them that was a voluntary process, but he ultimately bears the weight of them. And I, and it took, I, I think I was in, gosh, I think I was in my, my late twenties or early thirties before I finally kind of got that idea of like, because before that I'd always thought, well, he's the author of sin. So he's responsible for all of my sin. Well, right. no, 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 he's not. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. We yeah. talk a lot about freedom and Matt talks a lot about personal choice and God's willing to willingness to give us agency yeah. And I think just as what Karen has said is that although Satan took the lid off the cookie jar, every one of us have walked by and looked left and right and thought, yeah, you know what? I'm going to help myself. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we made that call and 
God in his mercy says, you know what, I'll, there is a price to pay for that because it's not just a cookie from a cookie jar. It is our eternal soul, but I'll pay that price. And I think that goes to what Matt, you're saying of God's incredible, unfathomable grace to offer that. Mm -hmm. We have to take a responsibility and understand that even if Satan were just simply taken out of the picture right now, that would not stop us from sinning. So that's why there has to be so much more involved with all of that. It is an amazing story, and we serve an amazing God, and we can't stress that enough. Well, I think that is our time for today. I want to thank you for joining us. Always remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at attvpodcast at theadventure.org. Follow us on Facebook, Adventure Through the Bible. Be sure to subscribe to us. And be sure to tell your friends and family about us. We want to thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.